Dimitri, do you want to come up? And um, we're excited to have you. Awesome. Right. Good morning. Praise the Lord. It is good to be here with you. Um, I know first time meetings are always very impactful. And uh, where you form an opinion of me and I form an opinion of you. And hopefully they're going to be good. Um, because, um, yeah, wow. We, uh, by the way, we're all in the same hub, southern hub. And so um, chances are we will get to know each other by name. We'll get to know each other well. But um, this is really just a scout out. Andrew Selly asked me if I could just come and check you guys out. They heard some bad rumors. <laughs> so, but um, I'm so blessed to be here with you guys. Praise God. He is good, hey? And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But um, if you have your Bibles, open them up quickly. I want to get into the Word this morning. The book of Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah 15. And that number 15 rings some bells with me. When I was 15 years old, 15 years old, my mother walked into my closed bedroom and caught me in the act. I was in the bedroom on my bed with my girlfriend on my lap. At that stage, my girlfriend was my surfboard. And I was gently caressing her and looking at her. And my mother looked at me and she just did that roll of the eyes. And she said, this fad will pass. Well, I'm 55 now. The fad hasn't passed. I was surfing yesterday. And not only me, my kids with me. And um, yeah. She gets to sit on my lap. But I can tell you, in my college days, when the phone would ring, and this was before cell phones, or news would go out that there were waves at Bikini Beach, I would quit class, would drop everything, and we would drive down there to the harbor. And we would be out there. That was one of my top favorite surf spots. And I want to tell you something interesting. I was thinking about it as we were sitting here. That this is the first time that I can recall in my adult life that I've ever been to Gordon's Bay for any reason other than to surf Bikini Beach. God's a God of miracles, isn't he? <laughs> that is so amazing. I, I, yo, God is good. But um, it has been, wow. But going back to my childhood, how many of you guys can remember the day you were presented with one of these Gideon Bibles? What an awesome thing. And I can remember as a boy, paging it open and going to that page right near the beginning, and it's where to find help when. Remember that one? How many of you ever looked up a scripture through that? Come on, lift your hands. That's, whoa, that's awesome. So I'm not the only one. And 
you know, I remember looking through that and, and anxiety and um, when you're feeling alone, when you're traveling, um, marital problems, you know, and, and I started looking through this long list, financial issues, feeling suicidal, and I'm like, flip, the Bible's got the answer for everything. And, you know, having been a Christian for all these years and having dealt with so many people with so many different problems in ministry, as Corin said, we've been serving God in ministry for 26 years, and I have become absolutely positively convinced that the Bible has the answer for absolutely everything known to man. God has put it in his manual. He's put it in his book. And this morning, I want to speak to you about God's best medicine for depression. Because in that Gideon's Bible, it says a scripture for you when you are feeling depressed. Now, I'm not going to use the same scripture that they use, because last year I was reading through the book of Jeremiah, and I, suddenly the Lord just drew, drew me to a verse in chapter 15, the one we're going to look at this morning. But I remember looking at that verse and going, wow, it just jumped out at me. And I, I marked it, and I hope you will mark it too. It's Jeremiah chapter 15. And verse 16, beautiful verse. And what Bible version are you guys reading out of this morning? ESV, ASV, NIV, New King, okay, okay. So it should sound like this. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name. O Lord, God of hosts. Now, when we talk about the medicine for depression, and, uh, you know, when we're talking, and I, I just, I don't mind going in areas where angels fear to tread, but um, to realize, you, oh, can you say that? Can't you say that? Um, don't you need a doctor's uh, permission or whatever? And I'm not going to... I'm going to deal with this very carefully, but I believe that the Bible, God gives us the answer for everything and the cure for everything. And um, in a group such as we are, I'm not going to ask you to show of hands, but I believe that the most part of us at some point in our life, if not right now, have been struggling with depression. And it is something that comes upon us. And so for our little time that we have together this morning, I want to speak to you about how to overcome depression by the power of Jesus through his word. I want to deal and um, give you some facts about depression. I want to expose some fallacies about depression, some things perhaps that maybe you have believed that are not necessarily true, and um, I'll explain why. And um, there's a lot that we can pick up and just through our culture, through media, and we can assume certain things. And so as we look those up, we're going to consider and always remember what God says in his words supersedes anything that even the experts may say. Okay, just because someone is a specialist in psychiatry or psychology or whatever does not 
mean that what he says can overrule what you read in the Bible, okay? Because God created the brain, he created the mind, he created the soul of man. And so always I think the Bible says, come, let us magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. And so whatever, even sometimes, and just this is a very important fact, men and women, to realize that your feelings are not God. Sometimes we are more in tune and listening more to our feelings than we're listening to the Lord. Hey? Okay, hit yourself on the head right now. Oof. Why do I do that? But um, let's just talk about that. And I really want to, I want to be as practical as possible. I am a practical person. And so I want to deal with this in a practical way. That in some way, when you leave here this morning, you're going to feel helped. You're going to feel encouraged and strengthened and know what to do when depression hits. Or know how to counsel someone who is struggling with it. Corin and I, we've been married, yeah, 26 years of marriage. And, um, and we've got three teenage daughters who Corin said they were ministering at, um, at Weinberg Church this morning. And for them to realize that even teenagers struggle with depression, discouragement. And it's for us as parents to be able to help to navigate them through this. It's not easy being a child in today's world. And so we can really, God can use us mightily. Um, so let's just quickly look at some facts about depression. I want to give you four. The World Health Organization notes on their website, depression is the leading cause of ill health and disability worldwide. In other words, what we're dealing with this morning is something big. The leading cause of ill health and disability. Number two, antidepressants. The size of the medication industry for antidepressants last year was $16 billion globally. A huge astronomical amount. It's projected over the next three years that that figure is going to blow up to $22 million. It's getting bigger and bigger as pharmaceutical companies are jumping in, throwing out new products all the time, working on new products. And the third to note, and this is kind of just interesting on that point of antidepressants, when Prozac in 1987, was put out onto the market, approved, and went out onto the market within a short space, three years, two million people were on it. These things have got big uptakes. Third fact about depression is it's not just poor people that struggle with depression. It's not just the down and outs that struggle. Sometimes it's people where everything is going right in their lives, where they are affluent, easy lives. They're not struggling with multiple trials and issues. I remember years ago going to visit a friend of a friend in, in uh, the state of Florida where this person was exceedingly wealthy. I've never seen a home like that. I mean, it literally, I don't know if those taps were real gold or not, but they shone. And there were these huge 
videos and TV screens in every room, and it was plush. And when you walked out onto their lawn, it looked like a golf green, went right down to the water where a jetty was, and this huge big yacht, luxury like you can't believe. And I remember looking at this and, wow, these people got made. And the person showing me around, he said, just check the master bedroom. And like we walked up and I was like, oh, my hat. I mean, this is bigger than my house. And as we walked around and I noticed, and I think God drew my eyes to that thing. Because there, at the bed, at the bedside table, was the first book on the pile. It was managing depression. And I'm like, okay. It's anyone that struggles. And they're realizing that more and more younger people are struggling with depression. And even today, I'm noticing as things are branching out into new areas that, um, you know, vets are treating dogs with depression. Your pet, your cat can be depressed. Now, if any dog has a right to be depressed, it's our little Boston Terrier, Aki. He doesn't go for walks as often as he used to. And you know, when we go out Sunday, I mean, there is locked away. You can say a little prayer for him. He won't get depressed, but that's life. But here's the fourth fact about depression is that depression is something that depressed people lie about daily. Where we ask each other, how are you doing? And you go, I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing? Good. But meanwhile, inwardly, you're low, down, discouraged, feeling defeated. And it's good to talk about these things. That we can be truthful with each other. I have struggled with intense times of depression. And what's important is to realize with those facts that there are also a lot of fallacies. Let me point some out to you. Fallacy number one is that depression is a mental health problem. You know, it, it, there's, there's such an assumption today that it's, I've got a mental problem. I'm depressed. It's a mind. It's my, my mind. There's something wrong with my brain. I've got a Im- chemical imbalance. And um, I want to read this little thing to you because this might help you because, you know, I think we we take in and take up so much time without actually checking out and researching for ourselves. Is it, is depression, is it a mental health problem? And I want you to listen to this. It says, if you've read up on antidepressants in newspapers and magazines on the web, you might see depression explained simply as a chemical imbalance or a serotonin deficiency. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. We really don't know what causes depression or how it affects the brain. We don't exactly know how antidepressants improve the symptoms. I'm reading from WebMD. This is written by a doctor, a specialist, who says we don't understand depression. We don't even know how it affects the brain. So, like, what we've got to realize is when you don't know, who should you retreat to? One who does know. 
And if you want to know what is depression, is it a thing of the mind or is it something deeper? Well, look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And in Psalm 42 and verse 6, the writer says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. And really for me, when I look at depression and I think here's a good biblical definition of what is depression. Depression is not a brain misfunction, but it's a problem of the soul. Now, if you're not a Christian and you don't believe and you just say man is just a body, you don't believe in the immaterial part when God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living being, you understand that for us we are mind body, with emotions. Man is complex. But there is the physical part of man and there's the spiritual part of man and there's a soul that God planted within your body. And it's when the soul is cast down. Now that word in Hebrew, Psalms were written in Hebrew. The word cast down literally means bent over as if carrying a heavy weight. Now the word depression inside that word depressed it's the word press and do you remember when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were slaves and they were working so hard for the Egyptian taskmasters making their lives so cruel the Bible says with hard bondage and they the Bible describes their time and it says they placed heavy burdens upon them and so you can imagine the Israelites carrying these heavy loads and bearing down. And the writer of the Psalms, he describes, he uses that kind of language and he says, my soul is feeling weighted, pressed down. It's almost the idea, again, pushed underwater. And with that heavy weight is the way that you and I respond and the way that we take in situations and the way we process those kind of things ultimately pressurizes your soul. And you know they say a human being can face a lot of things if he knows there's a way out. But when he can't see a way out, that's when depression hits. When I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, I just see darkness. Now, it was wonderful hearing of the lady who got employment. And it's wonderful, and we can all clap and cheer, but you know what it's like if that happens to you. And you just go through extended time when you can't find employment. I have such a burden to pray for people for employment. It's a hard one. Number two, fallacy. Depression is incurable. Have you ever heard that? Well, you can't be cured of it. You can only be treated. And um, I've gone through some bouts of depression. I've never once taken anything for it other than prayer and trusting in the Lord and getting into God's word. And I can say God has brought me through every bout. And, And I think of Jesus. And think of Jesus on a daily basis going around and ministering to people with incurable ailments and leprosy and blindness and deafness and the Bible says he healed them all so don't tell me there's no healing for depression 
There is in Jesus' name. Fallacy number three, and this is one again, this is where your feelings can be speaking to you and saying there's no point in living, you might as well give up. I'm better off dead. Do you know that in the month of January, in the small little state of Alabama, in a small little county called Jefferson, in the month of January, 29 people lost their lives through antidepressant overdoses. It's hectic. But you see, it's often in that time and they're taking the antidepressants. Well, the fact is, if you consult the statistics, that out of people who take antidepressants for depression, only two out of three find some kind of help in that. One third don't respond at all. Others take antidepressants, but then they find other things. In fact, I was reading on the the slip of one antidepressant and it said one of the side effects is depression. (laughs) I still don't understand that. But that voice that says to you, what is the point of living? You're better off dead. Is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said he came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And so sometimes, and this is what I think you're going to learn and I'm going to try to drive home today, is you need to get your feelings in line with the facts of the Word of God. And you need to put your feelings down. You need to depress your feelings for the sake of living by faith. Remember, it's fact, faith, feelings. Feelings should always be in number three spot. We go wrong when we take feelings and we put it in number one spot. That's when things go badori. And so we've got to realize that. And here's another fallacy. If you're a Christian, you should never experience depression. Ra, ra, ra. We know the realities. Christians do struggle with depression. Doesn't necessarily mean you're living in sin. But what it can mean is, as a Christian, that the reason you are struggling with depression, maybe it's not a sin issue, but it could just be with things in your life that have never properly been dealt with or brought into the light, hidden things that do affect the soul. Or it could be, remember Jesus, when he rebuked his disciples because of unbelief. Now, we often think of sin. Well, I'm not doing any sin. I'm not breaking any of the Ten Commandments. But sometimes it can be little pockets of doubt or unbelief. You know, Jesus asked a man who was sick. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And so we've got to pray. Another man who came to Jesus for help for his child. And Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a good prayer, isn't it? We need to pray and say, Lord, help my unbelief. And so I think as we expose these things, we realize that Christians also do struggle with times of depression, discouragement, darkness. Let me give you some examples. David. David, the psalm writer, he writes these words and he says, I'm in anguish. I'm worn out with weeping. I'm becoming old because of my grief. My health 
is broken. That's David. Of course, Job went through his own darkness and depression where he didn't want to live anymore. Elijah prayed and he said, it is enough, Lord, now take my life. These were men of great faith. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, he said, a time that we went through, it was so hard that we started to despair even of life. We got so desperate when we were feeling it's better off if I was dead. That's the apostle Paul for you. Jesus himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Jeremiah, he says, I've cried until tears no longer come. My heart is broken. You know, in the Bible, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I mean, if any guy had a hard life, it was him. He was the prophet that God called that. He said, I'm sending you to this disobedient people. You can pray, you can, I'm going to give you words for them, but they're not going to listen to you. They're going to rebel against you. I mean, they cast him into that pit. Um, I mean, he went through a hard time, a hard life. And there were all these false prophets rising up and they were speaking health and goodness and prosperity. And he was coming with these messages where they were like, get out of here. We don't want you. It's Jeremiah's life. But I like what Jesus, when he was saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. No, one, one little lie that I think when you are feeling depressed or discouraged, one thing that the enemy will often just plant in your mind is that nobody understands or nobody will understand or nobody can understand what I am going through. Jesus does understand. And so, you know, when, when you think of Jesus, the Bible says that he became a man and he experienced everything that we experience in our human lives, but it said, with the exception of sin. Jesus experienced this darkness in his own life. Do you know, all these things, and I, I, I think about all those that struggled with depression, darkness, despair, discouragement. The one thing that you will discover about them is that with every single one of them, that depression lasted for a time and God delivered them out of it. God doesn't leave his saints in the mire. He doesn't leave us in the mud. He sets our feet upon the rock. And David, the same David who wrote, I'm in anguish, I'm worn out with weeping, I'm old because of my grief, my health is broken, later says in Psalm 30 verse 11, I love this, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing, you have loosed my sackcloth, you've clothed me with gladness. I mean, isn't God just awesome? The Bible says he hears the cry of the afflicted. Could you change that word afflicted to depressed? God hears the cry of the depressed and he delivers. And David's testimony is that you've turned my morning into dancing. You've turned it around 180 degrees. What a beautiful thing. I want to share with you this morning and just the few more minutes that we have is God's best medicine for depression. And let me put it to you this way. God's best medicine for depression, it's not a capsule, it's a diet. It's the Jeremiah diet. Can you say that with me? Jeremiah diet? Jeremiah. Okay, you heard of the Atkins and the Tim Noakes diet and all that. And, you know, it's always you've got to eliminate something. You know, I can't eat the steak and chops. I know, like, you know, 
I don't like those kind of diets. I like the diet. Tell me what I can eat, not what I can't eat. Right? Guys, don't sound convinced. (laughs) Are you guys afflicting yourselves? Jeremiah ate the word of God. Not literally, spiritually speaking. And Jeremiah, and I want you to read this with me. And uh, I think it's so important. I hope you can highlight this scripture because this is really what I feel is the, the clue and God's best secret to wholeness of man and wellness of our souls. Let's read it together. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I didn't hear the woman. Okay. Were you nudging your husband? Say, read it. (laughs) Okay. Let's everyone. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I want to break that verse down for you. Give it to you in little bite-sized portions. The first thing he says over there, line number one, your words were what? Found. Now, Jeremiah was writing in an older time. In those Bible times, they didn't have the Bibles like we do. Okay, they had scrolls. And not everyone had scrolls. This was before the printing presses were out. And so back in that day, if you were believing those Bible time, Old Testament, you'd have to actually go get a scroll. You'd have to go find that word of God, that scroll. Even in the days of Jesus, do you remember when he went into the synagogue of Nazareth? And it says they handed to him the scroll of Isaiah. And, and so just think about it, that Jesus didn't hold the Bible, but he was the word of God. And for us, the fact that, yes, his words are found, we have them. And as we find the word of God, remember, again, pushing you back into Old Testament times, if I wanted to, back in the Old Testament times, if I wanted to find the word of God, I would have to go and look around for a prophet. One of the prophets of God Even David, he had the prophet Nathan and there was the prophet Gad and people would go find a prophet and say, what is the word of the Lord for us? And the Bible says that we are living in a new age and a new dispensation because Hebrews 1 verse 1 and 2 says in those times, in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And we are stepping into this new time where you or I want to get the word of the Lord. We don't have to go run, find a prophet. We go to the Lord himself. We go to his word himself. And another scripture, that's Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. You can jot it down. Another scripture, Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Let it dwell inside of you. Find the word of God and let it find you. And then 
Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word, O Lord, is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that just the perfect thing you want when you're feeling dark on the inside? Shine a light on it. So here is Jeremiah, and he's in this dark time. He's surrounded by these false prophets that are prophesying lies to Israel. Israel's on the edge of a precipice. They're about to be taken over, exiled into Babylon. Things are going bad. There's droughts. Everything is going bad. He runs to the Word of God. He finds it. And so the first thing you and I need to do in our depression is to find the Word of God. And listen, not only if you're depressed, this should be our daily diet. Find the Word of God every day. Find it. You know, um, one of the things that was so important for me as a father to instill in the lives of my children is daily devotions, daily time with Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm... I told you, I'm turning 55 this year. And I, I, I used to look like, I mean, my wife begs me to grow a beard because she says, you look, you look too young. And, but my kids have aged me. I, I, you know, I could have, before my kids were born, I could have passed for 23. My kids, you know, every morning, I've got to get them to school by seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, those kids work me, and then it's like sports. Actually, a few weeks ago, we had, like, every night of the week, I had to pick them up from school because they had sports events and plays and things, and the school's very active. 10 o'clock from school, 9 o'clock from school, 11 o'clock from school, then get, get them at school 7 in the morning. And, you know, I feel like this, like, roller coaster. Kids... Your devotions in the morning, they get up at five o'clock and they have their time with the Lord. And that's really sustained them so much, helped them spiritually. Find the word of God for yourself every day. Uh, we do have a family devotion time in the morning also, every day. So they have their own devos and then we get together and we pray together, read a short scripture. Uh, our family devotions, we're doing Philippians. Funny, it's all about joy. And, um, and those are times where we build into them. But notice Jeremiah says, your words were fine. The second thing, I ate them. Now, if, 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 if you're reading this and you're like a new Christian, you're like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> he, ate, he ate it. Spiritually, he means he devoured the truth of God's word. He chewed on it. He digested it. Feed yourself. Now, the Bible's a big book, and you might be here this morning and say, like, like, you know, how am I supposed to read the Bible? I mean, it's such a big book, and so much in it, and, you know, possibly the worst way to get to know the Bible is just doing this thing. You know, find a verse here, find a verse there, or, um, you you know, that's like a hop, skip, and a jump. You're never going to figure it out that way, okay? You've got to do what you do with every other book. Start at the beginning. Read through the Bible, and, and at very least, read through the New Testament. Get to know the Word of God. You know, if you're jumping in here and there, okay, you, it just jumbles it up. That's why so many Christians never actually understand the Bible. Uh, get to know it. Read it. Um, be systematic, okay? So God works in systems, 
Okay, so everything God has designed, the universe, everything is systems. God works that way. So realize, so important that we do that. Um, and uh, by the way, Bible school, again, will help you so much just to understand the framework, how the Bible works. Um, my wife, Corinne, is the best woman counselor in the world. I know that's a big claim to make, but I've heard her counseling ladies. Do you know when she sits them down, whatever problem they have, my wife, and she tunes them. The first thing, you know, my husband says, blah, 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 blah. It's like, excuse me, are you having your quiet times? No. <laughs> but, but the first thing she's like, are you having your daily quiet times? Okay, well, start having daily quiet times and then come back to me. Okay? Because that time with Jesus, it's when you are coming, when the light of the Lord is shining into your soul and spirit. And you know, the one thing I find about me, I don't know about you, this is about me. When I have had my time with Jesus in the morning, I can face anything that the day holds. Those multiple trips to and back from school where I feel like I'm a bus conductor on the train, you know, whatever. But whatever the day is going to, whatever the financial challenges are, whatever the emotional things are, I can face them. I've been with the Lord Jesus. So important. Someone said a Bible that's falling apart usually begin, belongs to a person that's not. One way I like to think of me spending time in the Word of God is, and my wife can tell you this, when I wake up in the morning, my hair's a mess. Okay? And I have to, and this is my daily thing, go to the bathroom, wash my face, wash my hair, and I get a comb. And you see, a comb is an amazing thing because as it passes through your hair, you know, your hair is like all going in every direction. And what it does is it just takes those things pointing that way and it's, everything goes in the right direction. See, that's what spending time with the Lord does for you. Getting into God's word, it puts everything in the direction it should be. Remember, fact, faith, feelings. The most rebellious part of me you can't see is my feelings. And that's the one thing we don't often understand is because when I become a Christian, I think that, okay, I'm a Christian now. Okay, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I can worship with my hands in the air, everything else. And I have to realize that there's a part of me that's still not properly saved yet. It's my feelings. It's my feelings are not always listening to what God says. When someone offends me, and I get all like, who does he think he is? How can he say that? And again, the comb has to pass through, and it's like, no, this is how it is. Forgive. In humility of mind, consider others as being better than yourself. And you see, this is so important for us that we're getting the comb of God's word through us. Now, let me end with this. The effect. Your words, what did they become when I found them, when I ate them? Number three, what did they become to me? The joy and the delight of my heart. The darkness lifted, the light is shining in, there is joy in my life. 
When I'm worshiping, it's just flowing. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's a day-to-day thing. I'm worshiping. I'm praising the Lord in my bedroom. I'm doing the housework. I'm doing the cleaning. I'm taking the washing off the line. But there's a joy. There's a rejoicing in my heart. Is that your experience? Why not? I don't do the washing. The power of God's word is that it changes me in the heart. Where did he find joy and delight? In his heart. He says, I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. It's this beautiful connection between Jeremiah and the Lord. He knows he's calling and he's experiencing the joy. Christianity is an experiential faith. We experience the peace of God in our lives, the joy of God, the delight in God. How important this is. Guys, I think as a father, and no speak a lot as a father, that it's so important for me to communicate with my children every single day. And if there's one thing they get upset with me about, it's I pepper them with questions all the time. I ask questions, how was your day? What happened? Who did you hang out with at break time? What, um, you, what, what were you doing? What did, did your teacher say anything cool to you or anything bad or whatever? I'll, I'll be firing questions. Is there anything that you're struggling with right now? And we talk and we pray together. Often that just goes into prayer. But it's so important because I, as a father, I'm a shepherd to my children. The Lord is a good shepherd. It's so important for you that he is shepherding your soul as I, as a father, shepherd my children. Let the Lord be the shepherd of your soul. Allow him to do that in your life. The depression will lift. It will go. I want to close this morning with a story, true story. And just to help you guys push through, any of you that are struggling with depression, in a moment we're going to bow our heads and I want to pray for anyone that today you would find deliverance. Is in England, on the coast, can you pop the picture up? There's this barren land. And there's a town called Willacombe. It's one of those old, hundred of years old villages just on the corner of that. But this place is barren, snows through the winter, it's cold. I find it, I've been there, very inhospitable. Many years ago, my best friend, Phil, felt called by the Lord to go and to plant a church in that little village, Willacombe. There was like an old Anglican church and I think a Catholic church there and nothing else. And uh, he convinced his wife, they prayed together, sought the Lord, and they moved their family over there. And Phil was, at that time, he was living in South Florida, close to Miami, He was managing one of the biggest surf shops in South Florida, enjoying sunny weather day after day, going on surf trips around the world, having an easy life, living in a nice house, two cars, moved his family over in 2001 to go and live in that place. 
And with very little financial support, all they could afford was this pokey little two-bedroom apartment. And they moved in in the autumn, the winter hit. Day after day after day, it rained, it poured. They couldn't do any ministry. They were cooped in this small little space. I think for him, a get-out would be go to the library. Life was hard. And he would phone me sometimes daily. And Corin would often answer the phone and she's like, Phil, how's it going? And he was a very upbeat kind of person. But as I would talk to him, I could hear he was getting more and more depressed, more and more down, more and more discouraged. And we would pray together on the phone. We would pray. Corin, I would pray for him, his wife. I watched his wife. He wasn't that old at the time. I watched her hair go from brown to gray. I mean, this family aged through there, but they were so called. Remember, Jeremiah said, I am called by your name. And I think for Phil, going through year after year after year of that, and having to battle and fight discouragement, fight depression, fight hardship, People in the village would come to him and say, why are you Americans here? What? This is no place for you. I mean, the rejection was hard. And the best advice I've ever got for anyone with depression is you push right through. You push right through. You keep going on. It's in that place of Willacombe. There was a lot of wide open spaces. And one day walking through the rain, the Lord gave Phil this vision in one big field, imagine if we could get a big Christian event happening here, get all the best Christian bands in the world to come and play here, have a big, put up a big skateboard, half pipe. We could, um, we, we could do all these talks on creationism because no one believed in God or biblical creation there. And he's like, got this dream. And in the midst of the darkness and the despair of that, look what was born. Creation Fest. This was one of the biggest Christian events, became over the years in Cape Town. I was at it for a while. And in the UK. And this event, so many people have traveled, they camp, people camp on those open fields and they, teenagers go to these events. They have all these little baptism pools where they get saved, listen to the music, listen to the preachers, get saved, give their hearts to Jesus. They're immediately baptized, and a week later they go home. God is using that thing on an amazing level. Guys, that was someone who was fighting depression, discouragement, and despair every single day. Guys, I want to encourage you, you push right through. God can use you in the darkest times. He can do something good with your life. You've got to remind yourself like Jeremiah did, I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Don't forget your calling. Don't forget what you are in Christ. Guys, I feel like, yeah, I don't know what you guys are on your heart, but I just feel like I want to pray. And... Um, I shared that last thing with you because I believe you needed encouragement. You need to know that you can push through this.
And you're not just a victim. You're someone who, like Jeremiah, was struggling. And God helped you to find joy. And Father, I come before you. And I really want to pray, Lord, right now. Those scripture verses. I want to pray.